next author says that Agatha Christie plunged her into the fabulous world of reading when she was 10, and she has never been the same. She read every one of her books she could lay her hands on. Mysteries remain her favorite genre to this day, so it was only natural that she would eventually write her own cozy mystery. She hopes that Agatha Christie would enjoy her series, The Dodo Dorchester Mysteries, as much as she does. Anne Sutton, welcome to the podcast of up-and-coming authors. It looks like you've been a very busy person. I've noticed that you just recently released a book a couple weeks ago, and you have a new one that's ready to be released. Yes, I'm actually in the final edit for book three of that series. So yeah, I've been really busy, and COVID has actually been beneficial because I haven't had as many other things to do. So I've been a bit chained to my desk and uh, able to do more with the series than I had thought that I might be able to do. So yeah, three books is what I've done during COVID. All right, so what else are you working on? Anything else? Um, well, I'm, I'm doing lots of other things other than writing, actually. I took a class about Facebook ads and posts and things and about upping the quality of them. And I took a hard look at my Facebook posts and thought, yes, I could probably improve that. So I've been on a learning curve of um, graphic design and trying to make my Facebook posts something that people want to actually look at. Um, I've been trying to create my own book covers to save, save time. And I've just done a photo shoot for the main character of my Dodo mystery series. How did you uh, come up with the idea of a photo shoot? Well, I'm a photographer, and so it was natural that I would do my own photos. And along with trying to improve the quality of my Facebook posts, I thought, you know, I, I, I have the perfect model who I think everyone would agree is kind of what they think of when they think of Dodo. And so the weather was good, we had free time, and I ordered a really fun period dress from the 20s on Amazon. It came with all the bits, the gloves, the headpiece, and we just had a really fun time taking hundreds of pictures that I will now use in my marketing. Great, great. So what, what actually motivated you to become a cozy mystery author? So I've been writing for a few years um, under a different name, and I, I enjoyed the two different genres I tried. Uh, one I'm still writing in, the other I've kind of let it go a bit because there's only so many hours in a day. But uh, my favorite genre is mystery, and Agatha Christie is really who catapulted me into reading when I was a child. I wasn't a huge reader before the age of 10, I was the kind of child that was very active, never wanted to sit down, would only come home for dinner if I really had to, if I was starving. And so I just didn't really have time to read or make time for reading. And then we were at the library one day and I got an Agatha Christie out and that was it. I was hooked. I read everything she wrote and all the way through the rest of my life, I was a very uh, attracted to the mystery genre 
And so once I felt like I was becoming a better writer, I think it was only natural that I would turn to mysteries. I mean, if I have time to watch television, I'm usually watching a procedural drama or something like that. I, I don't really do the gritty stuff. And so Agatha Christie was right in my wheelhouse. And I really wanted to emulate that, to write mysteries that your grandma could read or that your children could read if it was hanging around. And I thought, hey, I'm going to give it a go. Very good. So you said you're writing a series and that we, you've already released one book and working on another. How did you come up with like the name Dodo for your Dodo Dorchester mystery? Well, um, there's a, a period drama in a completely different era. We're talking the late 1700s, early 1800s. And it had a character in it called Dorothea and they called her Dodo. That was her nickname. And my oldest daughter and I always thought that that was quite funny. I mean, a cutesy name was Dodo. So then when I imagined this character in my head, I obviously needed a name that wasn't Jane or Jennifer or something. <clears throat> Not plain, I don't mean plain, but just less aristocratic. And Dorothea just it, it spoke to me as being aristocratic. So then I just played with last names. I tend to write the alphabet out when I'm trying to do names and I go to each letter and then just whatever name comes, then I place it with the Christian name that I've picked. And I got to D and I said Dorchester and I was like, that is it, Dodo Dorchester. It just, it rolled off the tongue, it had alliteration, and I w that was it. I just, I knew that that was going to be the name. So I understand you've written three books for this series, and just out of curiosity, do you have a favorite, or do you like them all, or did, does one book stand out more than the other? Yeah, I have to admit that number two is my favorite. Um, it's set in Paris, and I spent a year abroad just south of Paris. So Paris is like my second hometown, uh, London obviously being my hometown. And just having the chance to write about the places that I knew and loved and the smells and the tastes, I just really got into that. And the story just evolved itself from it. And I just, when you're excited about your own plot, then that probably means that other people are going to be excited about it too. And one of my beta readers who had been to Paris said, I, I could smell it and I could taste it when you wrote about it. And I thought, yes, that's, that's what I wanted. So yeah, number two is my favorite, but, but I like them all, but that's my favorite. So out of curiosity, how, how do you come up with some of the names of your characters? Does it just come to you or do you have someone in mind or is it uh, just names that stand out for you? Well, if anyone has read my first Cozy Mystery with Dodo, um, they may have noticed that all the names had the same initial letters. So it was Dodo Dorchester, Diantha Dorchester, Julian Jeffries, Charlie Chadwick because I, it was easier. It gave me a frame of reference. So that was unusual for me. I don't usually do it that way, but I thought it would be kind of fun. And it is a 
a kind of a fun genre, the cozy mystery period historical. So I did that in that book. Um, Inspector Blood was a little different. My um, step aunt is married to a policeman. He's retired now. And his name or his title was Inspector Blood. And isn't that just the perfect name for an inspector from Scotland Yard who is dealing with murders? So his is a little different. But for the other characters, I just did it with letters of the alphabet. So when I got to the second book, I felt more comfortable with choosing the names. And obviously, a lot of them were French names. And having lived there, I have a lot of French friends and acquaintances. And so I just pulled on that data bank in my head and used those names that I knew. So how did you come across wanting to write in the cozy mysteries genre? Do you feel like, was there a break that you got or is it just something you had always planned to do? Or, you know, what, what was it that maybe got you more comfortable in wanting to start writing books in that genre? I think it's because I loved it. I hadn't actually planned on doing it. I started writing um, children's historical fiction from World War II because both my parents were born in London in the middle of the war. Then I moved on to Regency Romance because that is something that speaks to me too. I thought that it would challenge my writing. And I don't know, maybe I'm a glutton for punishment. I thought, I want to give Cozy Mystery a try. I could see that it was trending up, that people were anxious to read it. And so I thought, I'm, I'm going to give it a go. But if you're asking me about writing as a whole, is, is that kind of where you're going? How, how did I start writing as a whole? Yeah, what, 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 what got you excited or what perked your interest to want to become a writer or start writing? Um, I'm not sure that I ever had a burning ambition to be a writer. I, I just didn't know that that was in me. Um, I had had some, I'm a spiritual person and I had had some promptings that that would be a thing I could do. And my children were getting older and I had to decide, did I want to go back to teaching or did I want to try something else? So I thought, well, I've had these feelings that I should try to write and I had dabbled with it in the past. But um, even if you're a pretty confident person, which I felt, I've always felt that I am, I was very lacking in confidence about my writing. I remember with my very first book, I kind of got tricked into publishing it. Um, and that was a good thing because I might never have published it. But once it was out there, I decided to be brave and I sent it to a contest. And I got a third place. And that was the sort of validation I needed that a group of judges felt like I could write and that I had a good story. So that was the beginning of it. And then when I changed genre, and obviously you're writing for adults who are um, more discriminating than children um, in terms of the quality of the writing. Not that I felt like the quality was not good enough for historical. I just felt like, oh, now my audience is women. I, I lost confidence a little bit. And um, I was fortunate enough to live in the same neighborhood as Brandon Mull. 
and knew him and his kids knew my kids and he by that time was extremely well known and, and successful and I just had the impression one day to talk to him about how you know how he got his start and and it was interesting because he he expressed a lot of the same emotions that I was feeling at that point and I had registered for a writing conference and it allowed you to pitch which is where you write a small blurb about your book and you're able to tell it to someone from a publishing company and I hadn't I didn't know whether I had been successful it was a bit of a lottery you signed up for it and then you would find out if you got it so I talked to him about it and he was very encouraging and he said look if they don't choose you for a pitch I would be more than happy to take your manuscript and put it in front of the right people well that was such a confidence booster to have someone like him encouraging me as it turned out I did get a pitch in fact I was able to get two pitches which I think was very unusual they opened it up for a second round and I was able to pitch to two publishers both of whom said yes we want you to send your manuscript so all those things boosted my confidence and that set me on the path now <laughs> I'm sure I'm not alone in this the the confidence of a writer is like the Alps it goes up and down and up and down and up and down because you constantly deal with imposter syndrome you constantly are second-guessing you know what if no one likes this story oh or in the middle of a story you're like this is terrible but at the beginning winning third place in that competition and Brandon encouraging me and telling me that he would be there to help me if I needed it was such a big deal to me at the time so it's interesting so so uh on an average day or an average week, how much time would you say do you dedicate to writing and marketing and networking and doing stuff like that? Well, I think I started writing in 2014 and I probably did less than an hour a day. I, I didn't think it was going to become a career. Uh, it was just a, a hobby and I, I'm quite a disciplined person. And so I thought, if I do an hour a day, I think I can, you know, get a book finished. And I did. And it probably took me the better part of a year to write it, edit it, send it to betas and that kind of thing. Um, that was good for me at the time. Then when I did the Regencies, I was getting a little more serious about mm, perhaps I can make money at this. And so I changed to trying to do two hours a day. I was very involved in my children's school. I was involved with my church. And I thought that two hours was, you know, a bit of a sacrifice, but I could, I could do that. Well, then as COVID hit, everything else in my life dropped away. And I had this goal to write a series of three books. And two hours a day was not going to cut it. So honestly, since COVID, I am spending between four and eight hours a day in my office, writing, marketing, editing, that kind of thing. 
that isn't quite where I want to be, but I didn't want to waste the opportunity that might never come again. As soon as COVID, either they get a vaccine or it goes on its own accord, I will go back to having a very busy other life. And I didn't want to look back and think, oh, I wasted that time when I could have been writing. My children, my last children who are twins are almost graduating from high school. They don't need me nearly as much as they used to. So I'm pretty much full time at the moment. After COVID and once this series is out and I get back to a sort of normal routine, I would like it to be at maximum four hours a day. I think that that will work well. It will allow me to do some of my volunteering that I enjoy and other things like sports. So that's that's what I'm aiming for after COVID. But I did not want to waste this time. Very good. So tell me, how do you go about trying to develop and and create and grow your brand as an individual and as an author? Well, that's the part that I didn't know was going to happen, that I was going to have to be a brand manager, a marketer, you know, and I just was very naive at the beginning. When I first decided that I wanted to try my hand at writing, there was an adult education flyer that came in the mailbox and there was an adult education class I think it was just one night uh, it was at a local college and I decided to sign up for it and I came home actually very depressed because she really didn't speak to writing the whole thing was about marketing and I remember coming home and saying to my husband I don't want to be a marketer I want to be a writer And he encouraged me to set that aside and to just sit down and write my book, which I did so that I had a product. But then the reality hit that in this era, whether you're with a publishing company or whether you're self-publishing, writing is only half of the equation and that you are expected to market your own book. So that's led to a lot of education on my part. I'm not particularly techie. Um, I, I have a good eye for things like graphic design, but I'm not trained in that. So I've had to do a lot of education, which is why I'm spending so much time at this because I'm dividing my time between the marketing side. Um, I, I don't want to pay someone to do that because I feel that that is one of my strengths. I just didn't expect to do it for this. And branding is extremely important um, where you can Google. You you want your brand to be uniform. You know, it can't look one way in one forum and another way in another. So I've had to make sure that my websites kind of look like my Facebook posts, kind of look like my newsletter and my covers and so that has been the unexpected side of this but I would say to anyone that is aspiring to be a writer you better expect to do that and you better be ready to educate yourself or pay other people to help you cool so out of curiosity was there 
was there or will there ever be a point in time where you feel like you've made it as an author, you won't have that imposter syndrome anymore? Or was there something that happened at some point in time that made you feel, okay, hey, I can do this? That is an interesting question, and I think the answer changes on a daily basis. <laughs> um, I went to a writer's conference. Uh, this was early on in my writing career. And you do feel extremely lacking when you are around very successful authors. And I was, I was feeling that way. And Jennifer Nielsen, who is a very well-known children's author, was the keynote speaker. And she did a wonderful presentation, um, pep talk really, using the analogy of Mount Everest. And she told us that we have to decide what success looks like to us. Is it publishing a book or is it being a New York Times bestseller? And then she took us through the journey that that would be. Perhaps your first goal is to just have the book in your hand. And she likened that to getting to base camp at Everest. And then she said, you can either stay there if that makes you happy, or you can say, what's my next goal? In other words, if you were climbing Everest, you would look around and see what the next ledge was. And that has been a very useful analogy for me. Um, because at the beginning, it was having a book in my hand. But after a while, that wasn't enough, and I felt like I wanted to set another goal. And so then I wanted to have it published by a publishing company, and then I met that goal. Well, then I wanted to see my book on the bookshelf at my local bookstore. And the day that happened, I thought, this is it. I have made it. And I, I ran around town taking pictures of myself with my books on shelves. And for a while, that, that was it. I felt like I'm at the top of Everest. But then after a while, you see that there's more to the mountain. And I set some new goals. And so I do think that it is an ever-moving target. And I'm not unreasonable. I don't set myself ridiculous goals. But um, I recently saw one of my books for another pen name in a flyer that comes to everyone's mailbox. And I, I just was tickled. I mean, that just made my day. I was on cloud nine. Um, then book one of this series came out. And yesterday it made the number one best seller for new releases and I got the little orange flag and I couldn't even sleep last night I was just so excited I was like a child at Christmas so it, it does move and I am happy that I have met the smaller goals that I have set and I'm not sure what my end goal is I'm happy where I am do I feel like I'm a real author yes by the time my second book with the publisher came out, I was finally able to say, when people asked me what I do, I could say, I'm an author. Because up until then, I just didn't feel like I, I was. I just didn't feel authentic. I do finally feel comfortable saying that. Do I want to be a New York Times bestseller? I don't think so. I don't know that I want to do that much work because it would take a lot of work. I'm I'm not young. Um, 
I'm not going to be doing this forever, but certainly I do have other goals that I want to reach. But do I feel like a real author? I think I finally do. <laughs> so um, you mentioned it a little bit. What, what are your thoughts on going through a publisher or being an independent publisher? Do you have thoughts on either side or either regard? I do, yes. My first two children's books I published independently and I was very ignorant. I didn't know anything about it and basically wrote it, formatted it through the Amazon formatting and posted it. Um, it was a means to an end. It met, like I said, my base camp goal but it really didn't go anywhere because I didn't do anything with it. I mean, it sold, but not, not, it wasn't going to make me a millionaire or anything. So the second time around, I decided I wanted to try with a publisher and I was fortunate enough to be um, accepted by a publisher. And I learned so much by going through the process with them. I learned all the things I hadn't known about publishing when I was trying to publish my children's books. So it was an invaluable education. I was able to work with professionals, learn some of the vernacular. It, it was so useful. That said, it was a very small publisher. It's, it is, I'm still with them. And they don't have the resources to be able to allow me to see the whole process of my book as it goes live. So now that I'm publishing independently my mystery series, I am able on an hourly basis, if I want to, see exactly how well my advertising dollars are doing. I can track each ad that I do to see which ad is working well. So when I'm working with the publisher, I am expected to do my own advertising. They don't say that I have to pay for it, but I choose to do Facebook ads, but I have no way of seeing whether they're successful or not. So there's pros and cons to each, obviously, and I've enjoyed both experiences. Very good. So maybe, uh you could tell us what's one of the hardest things to do when writing a book? Is it the actual writing, the publishing, the marketing, all of the above? What would it be? For me, the writing is not saying the easy part makes it sound like it's like I'm not placing enough importance on it. What I mean is I think that that's the part I have the best gift for. I'm what they call a pantser. I don't, plan my plot in detail. Now there are fabulous authors who do that. I tried it after a conference one time. I thought, eh, I'll give it a try. It totally hindered my creativity and I threw all the three by five cards away. So for me, the writing, the initial writing of the first draft is very pleasurable. Um, I enjoy it very much. I love meeting the characters especially the ones I haven't planned ahead of time. The, the first deep edit, so I, I do what I call throwing my story on paper. I, I try not to let anything hinder me. I don't stop to check words. If I've repeated a word, that's okay because I'm getting the meaning down. The second go around is the complete opposite. 
I am weighing every sentence, every phrase, every paragraph. I'm looking for plot holes. That part is extremely taxing on my brain. In fact, the only way that I can relax after that is to just sit and vegetate in front of the television because then I don't have to concentrate. I, I feel like it squeezes my brain. So I find that part very difficult. Then after that, the edits go through my critique group and through beta readers. And generally after that first very deep edit, uh, it's not so bad. And then obviously I've talked about the marketing and how that's a completely different set of skills. And often writers don't have those skills and it's a baptism by fire. So I don't know if that answers your question. Yeah, no, that's perfect. So out of curiosity, obviously you have written books they're for sale. People are able to go on to Goodreads or Amazon or other places and post comments. Do you ever read those comments or reviews? And if you do, uh, and let's, let's say one's positive, one's negative, do those reviews influence you for future books? So I think authors fall into two camps from what I have gathered. There are those that hang on every review and those that won't read the reviews. I tend to be in the I don't want to read the reviews camp. When my first re, um, historical romance came out under a different name, almost the very first review I got was from a troll, which is someone who just spends their time criticizing writers, for want of a better description. And it was very harsh. Uh, it was a man, and my target audience was, middle-aged women and he said he hadn't read past the first chapter and he said there's no mystery well yes it wasn't a mystery so he had totally missed what the book was about who it was targeted for and it was a scathing review and that made me very gun shy so obviously since then I've had lots of good reviews but I have to confess that I let my husband read them first. Every now and again, you get a bad review. Some people don't like puppies. Some people don't like chocolate. It's a guarantee that someone is not gonna like your book. And so I have him read them, and if there's a bad one, he warns me, and then I can decide whether or not I want to read it. It's depressing, you know, this is hard enough anyway. We deal with this imposter syndrome. We, we crash and burn in the middle of plots. We do not need the anti-cheerleaders because that would just sap us of any enthusiasm that we have for this uh, career that we've chosen. Do they affect me in terms of writing? There were a couple in my second uh, historical romance that said, oh, I hope there's going to be a sequel. I had never planned on a sequel. But when I read those reviews, I thought, hmm, okay. I mean, I was in the middle of another book. So I might, for book four in that uh, genre, take them up on their suggestion. You know, if there's, if there's a, a want or a desire for a sequel, then I might do that. But in terms of do I take suggestions you know or criticisms and change my book absolutely not it's a very subjective thing and if I'm happy with it and my editor is happy with it and my critique group are happy with it 
then then I'm happy with it. So, so in that same vein, how does it work when you're working with your editor, and maybe they recommend some big changes or different different tangents or angles that they want you to look at? How do you what do you do when that happens? So I think in another question you asked me what's the hardest thing, <laughs> and I didn't mention this, but this is the hardest thing is gracefully receiving criticism or critique. I have a real problem with it. I don't actually have a problem with what they say. I have a problem with anticipating it or anticipating it. I, I will see that it's in my inbox and I will pretend it's not there and keep it as an elephant in the room for about a week. I have to gear myself up for it. Um, Mostly my editors have been wonderful. I had one editor who was new to the company. So I had been edited already. Then the company went through some uh, financial problems. They let some people go. They hired some new people. And so now I had a second editor for a book that had already been professionally edited by their own editor. She hated it. She slammed everything about it. She slammed the plot, she slammed my characters, and I was crushed. And the only thing that kept me going was the fact that she was editor number two and the first editor had loved it. So I think that served to show me how subjective it is, even among professionals. So I was kind of at the point with that editor where I was ready to say, fine, give it back to me. I will publish it myself. They didn't do that. They kept it. Um, I didn't take all her suggestions because I was very committed to the way that plot went. And the book has done well. So again, that you know validates that I can choose not to do what they say. Um, I do have an editor for my cozies who I love. She is very careful with my ego, which is fragile. In, in the other parts of my life, I'm much more confident than in my writing. She, I don't think she was aware of that at the beginning, but she treats my ego with respect. She begins by telling me what is great about what I've written, and then she writes suggestions. And sometimes I balk at them. But if I leave it a couple of days, I usually come around to her way of thinking and it ends up being an improvement on what I had at the beginning. So I have had all kinds of experiences with editors. Very good. So maybe just two more questions. And thanks again for taking your time out of your busy schedule. Uh, I guess the first one would be, you've gone on the path of having a publisher and they kind of help you through the whole process of getting it ready and in production and coming up with the cover design. And then you've also done it independently where you do all that work yourself. How, how do you envision, how do you come up with the design on the book, you know, the cover of the book um, when you're doing it yourself, maybe as opposed to if someone else is doing it for you, do you have something in your mind that comes and then you're looking for that? Or do you like to have someone do it for you and say, yeah, I like that. So with my very first book ever, I had a plan in my mind. I mentioned that I'm a photographer, so I knew what I wanted to do. The story was about 
some children and a dog. So I borrowed my neighbor's dog. I took two of my children and we went and took pictures. And I was thrilled with the pictures. And we made it into a cover. What I didn't appreciate because of my lack of experience and knowledge at that time is that there are kind of standard uh, industry standards for covers associated with each genre. Amazon has tightened genres very much um, and the people that read the books kind of tighten that because of what they review. For example, if your cover doesn't reflect what's inside the book or what the reader expects it to say, then they will give it a bad review or mention that the cover was misleading. So I didn't appreciate that at the time. I loved the cover. I still love the cover, but it really wasn't an industry standard cover for that genre. So we, I recently changed the cover and how I came about that was um, the professionals suggest that you look for your genre on Amazon and look at the covers of books that are selling well and that you use those as a framework. So that's what I did with my children's books when I redid the cover. So they look completely different. There's no photography on them at all. It's more drawing, which is more appealing to children. So with the second set of books, which were done through a publisher for romances, I didn't have control over the covers. But again, they would look at what was selling well in that genre and then produce the cover according to that. So I knew that that's what I had to do with the cozy mystery. I would have loved to have the cover as this gorgeous flapper girl like my model, but that just isn't what cozy mysteries look like and when people are searching for it especially in a digital age where everything is very fast but they can see the cover it has to match the expectations of the reader so i that's what i did i looked at well set selling books about that era in england historical cozies and i tried to mimic not copy but mimic their standards. So it isn't actually the cover I would have done had I had total license to do my own, but it is in ex it meets expectations of the readers and it's selling well. So I think that that is evidence that that's the way you have to do it these days. Yeah. So this podcast is primarily dedicated to up and coming authors or aspiring authors. What, um, if any, other recommendations? You've given us a lot, but what other recommendations would you want to indicate or provide to those listening to this podcast? Um, this week, last weekend, I participated in another writers' conference, and I heard something that I feel like I want to put on my wall, and I, in future, I'm going to tell authors that come to me for advice. And it is an author who has written for, I think, 25 years and is very successful. And he also teaches creative writing at a university. And this is what he said. He said, tenacity is more important than talent. And what he meant by that is that there are people that are very gifted in writing, 
But at their first rejection, or the first suggestion by an editor that something should be changed, they throw up their hands and they walk away. There are other people who may not be as talented, but are willing to take correction from editors or accept that they may be rejected many times before someone agrees to publish them, who just stay on the path and through grit and hard work and learning the industry eventually become successful, whatever success looks like to them. And I thought that that is something that every writer should hear, that a lot of it is showing up like in any other job. If you continue to show up and you take correction gracefully, I think you can succeed. The other thing I would say is to face your fears. The day I was supposed to pitch my historical romance, I woke up with one of the worst migraines I had ever had. And I suffered with migraines for 10 years. I was not a stranger to migraines, but this one was something else. And I had never, ever been more nervous. I, I Ask me why, I couldn't really tell you, but I was beyond nervous. And it would have been the easiest thing in the world to say, I'm not well. But I didn't, I faced my fears. I got in there, she didn't bite my head off. I gave her my pitch and she's like, that sounds great, what else do you have? And she wanted me to explain more of the story. It would have been easy to, to just cave into my fears and not do that. In this industry, there are gonna be many, many things that are frightening, like learning how to use graphic design software, learning how to upload your book. All those things are frightening, but there is no growth in comfort. Unless we push against our fears, we are not going to grow. Am I better at this than I was in 2014? Absolutely, but I wouldn't have progressed and grown if I had given up back then at the first roadblock. So that's another one. Uh, another one is to be humble when you are critiqued. We have egos, we have pride, you know, and if, especially if you love something about your book and other people don't like it, it is hard. And my suggestion would be to put it away for a while, let the emotions drain out of you, go and do something else for a few days, and then go back and look at the critique with new eyes and without all the emotion. And maybe you'll decide they're wrong and you will keep your manuscript the way it is, or perhaps you will decide that they are right and you will try to change it. But don't let your pride get in the way. And that one is very hard. I would also suggest getting a critique group. Now, I call some groups critical groups and others critique groups. Don't get a critical group. I went to one once that was part of a larger organization and they put me with people who were not in my genre. I don't think they knew I had already had a book published and I came home crying. <laughs> Obviously, I had already been successful once, but these people just ripped me to shreds. That doesn't help anyone. And it certainly doesn't help you as a writer. If that's who's in your group, you need a new group. I now have a group, we're very eclectic. None of us write the same genre. We are very, cognizant of each other's fragile egos 
everyone is positive, but they make suggestions on how they think things could be improved. And that has helped my writing so much. I totally recommend that. And get an editor. With my first book, I decided not to. Um, it was a children's book. I had given it to beta readers, one of whom was a child. I had got good feedback. And, and I lucked out because I came third in that contest. But as my plots have got more complicated and I want my characters to have more depth, I really have needed the input of an editor. And I would say that in the short time I have worked with my new editor, it's like I've taken a master's degree in creative writing because she has taught me things, pulled things out of me that I wouldn't even know that I needed to do. Now, editors cost money. They are worth it. You don't have to pay through the nose. I, I would suggest doing research, seeing what seems to be a fair price, and paying the money for an editor. And those are my suggestions for anyone who's thinking of getting into this industry. Well, thank you. And maybe one last question before we wrap up. Um, so you, I've noticed that you have released your first book of your series. And I'm wondering, do you have any teasers you would like to put out there before the release of your second book and third book? Hmm. <laughs> I have to be careful to do a teaser and not a spoiler, right? Um, yep. So in the second book, uh, Dodo has faced um, a romance that has not ended well. And she's gone to France. Um, anyone that's read the first book knows that she's involved in the fashion industry and she's gone there for work. So that's exciting because you get to hear about Paris and the food and some of the beautiful buildings. So that's, that's the teaser I'm going to give for that. Does she find romance? Maybe. You'll have to read it. Uh, in book three... She definitely is more lucky in, in romance, but there is a complication. Um, I don't think I can give away more than that without giving away the plot, but uh, she's back in England for that one. Uh, it's race day at Ascot, um, and someone is murdered, and she is on the spot, and so she is called upon to help, and Chief Inspector Blood is not in book two, but he makes a reappearance in book three. And his relationship with Dodo as two detectives uh, develops, and I'm going to leave it at that. <laughs> Perfect. So, well, Anne, thanks again for taking your time, taking the time out of your schedule to give us uh, some input on what it's like being an author, how you go about doing it what are some of the brainstorming ideas you go through and how you go through the process of getting your book from idea, you know, or a concept to actually in production and printed and sold. So thanks again for joining the podcast of up and coming authors and uh, down the road, if things come up, maybe we'll do another one. Thanks for having me. It's been a real pleasure.
Thanks again for listening to my podcast of up-and-coming authors. And if there are authors that you would like me to interview, or if you think would be interested in being interviewed, go to my website, upandcomingauthors.com, and I will see what I can do to set something up. Thanks again.